Pozor and Dean. DJ, how have you been? I'm all right. Uh, you know, you, you should bill yourself first on your show there. Eh, whatever. I mean, I know my place. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what music have you been into lately? I've been compiling lists of French and Russian and uh, uh, African and uh, East Asian stuff. So I've been, I got a, like a Chinese jazz band called uh, Ah Root. And uh, gosh, you got a bunch of a bunch of other stuff that I think the average listener might not want to hear about right away. But <laughs> what are you it's listening possible. to? Oh, uh, two things about Chinese jazz. There's yeah. a Chinese jazz musician from the 1930s and 40s called Wu Ying Ying. Uh-huh. You should definitely check her out. It's that very soothing kind of like Billie Holiday kind of jazz, but in Chinese. World War II is, was a big deal in Shanghai for sure. There's a whole genre. Oh, yeah, it's that. all the Shanghai jazz. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just one of them. Uh, I, yeah, that one was cool. Um, what else were you? You mentioned something. We're losing people. We're losing people. Chinese jazz is not going to get the uh, get No, the no. The Chinese, <laughs> you know how many people there are in China? I mean, you obviously do. You live there. So, I mean, that is a huge market. I am fine with that. All right. What are you you listening to, Dean? Okay, cool. So I've got a couple of things that I've been listening to in the last like month or so. Um, So the uh, there's a band called Delta Sleep Inducing Peptide. And Mm. I heard about them from a friend of mine named Joe, who I met in Indonesia. And I can't really give you a particular album that was good. It was just like a world that I like to inhabit sometimes. (laughs) It's just, it's really odd, experimental, you know, like the, the industrial kind of like, um, artists that, you know, like more melodic nurse with wound, Einstein, Newbotten, you know, that kind of world, but just a little bit more atmospheric. Who are already so melodic as they are. So yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Um, as we talked about, You know, like, um, shout out to your mother, but I'm also really getting into Richard Thompson's work. Um, (laughs) I know. But, um, yeah, I've been really getting into his stuff a lot lately. It's probably just the fact that he's, like, been a devout Muslim for, like, (laughs) half a century now. And I just find that really interesting that that's not a remotely interesting thing about him. And I just think (laughs) that gives us hope as a country. I think fun facts are what makes the podcast world go round, Dean, so keep them coming. Okay. Speaking of unlikely Islamic music, I also really got into, and you can get it on YouTube, um, it's about 40 minutes, it's called The All Tunisian Mix, and it's Mm. uh, from Habibi Funk Records. Habibi is H-A-B-I-B-I, for anyone listening at home. Um, And it's basically just... Tunisian funk and disco from the 70s and 80s. And there is some awesome stuff in there. It is cool. And it's also, it's cool because, like, I literally did not even know that thing existed. And now I have 40 minutes of really amazing Tunisian funk and disco music. And the occasional yacht, and the occasional yacht rock song that I can do without. Um, okay. This is a great opportunity, Dean. This is a great opportunity, Dean, to talk about our show notes. Whenever we reference something in the show, you can check out the uh, the show notes for links to to find them. Absolutely, and the show notes um, you can find uh, find out where to go for that in the description for this podcast episode. Right um, 
as well as something that might appeal to you. Um, it's Electronica, a um, little bit of a collage, a little bit ambient. It's by a group called Sharp Veins, mm. and it's called Booster slash Your You is Shroud Now. And it's interesting, and you can get it on, on the sharpveins.bandcamp um, site, and I think it's free or pay what you want, which is decent for a 40-minute album. Mm-hmm. Um, also decent, also available on Bandcamp, is the discography of a group called Music for Sleep, which is the most ambient stuff ever. Fans of mm-hmm. William Basinski will probably find a kindred spirit there. This and it's is an the first awesome lady from Germany. This is the first opportunity to say some sacrilege and slaughter a sacred cow. I don't really like William Basinski. But we'll get to I that don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally fine slaughtering that sacred cow. They, they do have... He has only one piece that I like, and uh-huh. it's called Silent Night. And what, it's what, basic- what? Not the yeah. disintegration loops? No, it's uh, Silent Night. It's like 40 minutes, which is short for one of his. And it's basically just the loops are over the sounds of like crickets and night sounds in his backyard. Mm-hmm. And I find that's like, it's, it's nice. It's soothing. It's calming. It makes you feel like you're outside on a nice summer day. Okay. Like back home, and I like mm-hmm. that one. Every everything else he's done, kind of forgettable. Okay. And now the lightning round tracks of note. The first one I have to spell it because it's Tunisian. Alec, A L E C H, by the band um, Carthago, which is a portmanteau of Carthage and Agogo. Carthago. The song Minstrel Radio Yogurt by the Deep Freeze Mice. Um, is interesting because it's a super weird song. But it did get a little bit of buzz because it was on the infamous NME C86 mixtape. And that got a little bit of buzz. And it's also, for fans of industrial music, it is also one of the groups on the infamous Nurse With Wound list that was on the back of their first two albums. Hmm. Um, And some Harry Belafonte songs. Speaking of obscure industrial music. <laughs> um, three songs that I've listened to an obscene amount of times in the last month. Uh, 1961's Jump in the Line, which I will always think of Beetlejuice. Angelina, about a guy settling down for the woman he loves. And Matilda from 1957. Um, and then two groups that are very different, but both awesome. Icelandic in death metal band, Hatari, which was on Eurovision. And R&B um, hip-hop musician Lizzo, as well as Philadelphia's own Tierra Whack that has the song Unemployed that is fantastic. And finally, the song that's been the most to me this month is the song Cornerstone by Benjamin Clementine. It's about a man who's been deluding himself into thinking that his time to find love and intimacy is right around the corner. But the song is sung from the perspective of a person who's given up ever really finding anyone who cares about him. And it's beautiful and heartbreaking. And those are the things I'm into. Again, I had had no idea. I had no idea you were so into death metal and industrial music. (laughs) I mean, honestly, you know me that like it, it comes in waves. Sure, the sure. next one could be a song on Taylor Swift's album that I thought was really awesome. And I will just betray the entire integrity of this show. So banish, just, banish the name, yes, yes. 
give me hope. I will totally disappoint all of our listeners later. I think I'll, I'll let you type up the uh, show notes for this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's That is not a problem. All right. Great, great, um, great. So tell me about this well, we've Starlight got, Mints album. We've got two great picks for you coming up today. Uh, the first is uh, Starlight Mints' first album from 2000 called The Dream That Stuff Was Made Of. It's uh, the basic specs are 11 tracks and just 35 minutes, pretty short. And uh, coming out on See Through Records. Also, I've seen it on Play It Again, Sam, P I A S. And those are the basic specs. I don't want to uh, belabor any more, uh, you know, statistics or anything. But I think it's a you know a really great, really sweet uh, rock mm-hmm. album. And uh, I picked it to lure you into this whole oral podcast ordeal, Dean, because I knew that you one owned it and that B we both liked it. So, um, what do you what do you think? I really liked it. Um, I rated almost all of the tracks on it, A's and B's. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite tracks were sub- the first one, Submarine Number 3. Uh, mm-hmm. Number 5, Valerie Flames, which, side note, the Valerie Plame st- scandal was from 2003. So right. I was kind of like, wait a minute. But no, it was they, totally they a coincidence. Yeah. But yeah, it was great, woozy, drunken reveling, and... Fun fact, I did not know this, so I didn't mean to spring it on you. Did you mm-hmm. know that there are two versions of this album? I did not know, Dean. Yeah, I difference? had no idea until today. The, the version that I have, and I have it on CD next to me, is 11 tracks, same as yours. Okay. So imagine my surprise that every time I looked it up online, they were referencing a 13-track version. No kidding. Yeah, so the 12th track is a song called Popsicle, with a K, S-I-C-K. Mm-hmm. And 13th is a song called Pusher Girls. Pusher Girls, mm-hmm. eh, not worth it. But Popsicle, you should definitely check out on YouTube. It was maybe the newness of it, but I haven't heard it before. But I liked it a lot. But it also talks about a theme that they go over regularly in the album. Tell me more about this one. So, what yeah. do you like about this? Which, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to that. Well, you know, I think we should first of all recognize and acknowledge that I think just about all of our college classmates at Oberlin, uh, and to out ourselves a little bit personally here, um, mm-hmm. they all like the album too. So it has a pretty broad appeal. I mean, people who like math rock, punk rock, and noise pop, chamber pop, all mm-hmm. kinds of different genres. Even my mother likes this album. Let's talk about mm-hmm. mothers occasionally. And uh, just the general appeal, I think, is something that is hard to find in a rock album, especially one that, you know, has a bit of an edge to it and uh, is Mm -hmm. kind of noisy at times. I mean, if you listen to the intro, for example, listen to the intro on Surprise or Margarita, my two favorite tracks, Mm -hmm. and it's downright noisy. And I wonder wonder if you could uh, speak generally, Dean, if you have any opinion on what's the role of noise in music? Or can you list any other noise rock bands that you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could, but I feel like what this album does well is that, like, there's nothing in this album that's like, no one else ever did this before. But it ends up kind of like being a mix of things that I really like. Like, the big... To talk about this as if it was like a wine or a beer or something else pretentious, I'd say Uh that the three notes that I get most strongly in this is, number one strongest thing that I get from this that, is, that it reminds me of is all of the bands of the Elephant Six Collective 
Good point. Out of Athens, Georgia, specifically the Apples in Stereo. I got that Mm. a lot in the early part of the album. Um, Mm. But Cracker Jack and the songs later in the album, I found to be very similar to, it reminded me a lot of Britpop from the mid-90s, specifically Oasis and their album What's the Story Morning Glory that I totally was obsessed with when I was a sophomore in high school. All right, alt rock makes its first appearance here. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. gonna have to disagree with you. I'm gonna have to disagree with you on the lack of originality. Some some reviews on Amazon. There's a three star review in particular. The guy says, "I just went to their concert and I like their album, but they've got nothing original and they can't get out of indie pop." And I totally disagree. I think this is, uh, you know, who who combines? Just I don't know. We have to ask our listeners or something. If you can't think of something off the top of, off the off the cuff, um, what other band combines chamber pop and noise rock? And orchestral pop, don't forget, because there's a lot of strings in here. I will say, though, I'm wondering, I find this guy's review kind of weird, because it's like, they broke up in 2009. And so, I mean, to be fair to the guy, he was right that they were not able to escape indie rock because they broke up, you know, like, a decade ago. Specifically their sound, but yeah, okay. Oh, no, their sound, yeah, that's unfair. It's just... um, I mean, like, this is one thing that, I, I, that again, I didn't tell you about this earlier, but, like, um, on Twitter, um, I, oh, sorry, actually, let me back up a little bit. Um, remember I mentioned the two tracks that weren't on my copy of the album? Yes. Well, I had to find those and listen to those on YouTube, like I said. And mm-hmm. I noticed every single one of the comments on that YouTube video said, Dallin Weeks sent me here. Whoa, I don't know who and that I is. Had, and, I had, and I had no idea who Dallin Weeks is. And there was like 50 of them on this one, like, song, Popsicle, that wasn't okay. even on the original album. And okay. so I, I, I Googled Dallin Weeks. And apparently on Twitter in 2014, so a few years ago, but, you know, many years after this album came out, he had a tweet saying, quote, Playlist for the day. The Starlight Mints, the dream that stuff was made of in its entirety. Mm. So if you don't know who, if any of the people at home don't know who Dallin Weeks is, he's a multi-instrumentalist from the band Panic at the Disco. Oh, of course. Yes, yes. I know. And I just, which kind of makes sense because they're a power pop band and this is, I think we could say, fits into power pop. For sure, for sure. And so he, I don't think he's in the band anymore. I don't really get the trajectory. He was in the band from 2010 to 2017. The band now only seems to have one person in it. So I don't know <laughs> how that works. All, okay. everyone else left. So Since, uh... good, 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 good luck, Mr. Yuri. I hope you succeed in your plan to... Be the next Lucia Pamela. That was a deep cut that I am not explaining. Very good, very good. Well, I think it's always nice when uh, more popular acts tip their hats to obscure artists and to revisit old albums that are, you know, I think underappreciated, which I think is going to be a repeating theme of this show. Another practical Mm. note we can make, since you mentioned YouTube a lot, and, you know, for practical sake, we don't get to play the music uh, that we're talking about on the show for avoiding getting sued and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. YouTube, I think, is an okay option. Uh, obviously, it doesn't pay people very well. If you want to pick up the CD, I, I, I checked out. There's uh, eBay seems to be the cheapest, and uh, Bandcamp has a couple of albums uh, that are their later albums, but not this one in particular. 
And so we'll, we'll try to make sure that it's front and center where you can listen to the music that we're talking about in the show. Yeah, there is a um, – I can verify that. There is a YouTube playlist that has all 13 tracks, and it's decent audio quality. But given the choice, given the choice between streaming, whether it's YouTube or a paid service, I, I would I would think we should encourage people to support their local record stores. Uh, let me just give a plug to Amoeba and Rasputin in California and uh, Are Princeton Record Exchange. Out you. <laughs> well, actually, I hope Princeton Record Exchange is still open. Is Amoeba still open? Uh, yeah, there's three locations. Where will we talk about that another day? But I uh, know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Given I the choice, given the choice of sure. where to buy the music, first of all, please do buy the music and support the artist. Um, oh, and, uh, most course, definitely. Streaming, most definitely. Streaming, streaming doesn't really do that very well, at least not mm -hmm. yet. So, I mean, buy the physical copy. We're we're betraying our our age here, Dean. But uh, yeah, I think we both prefer to have a physical copy, not just for sound quality, but but to know that. Uh, yeah, that some, at somewhere down the line, the multiplier effect went into uh, went into somebody's pockets who actually made the music. So that's that's something to to try to do. Oh, absolutely. And if you want to buy the um, album without necessarily getting a physical item, you can go the Bandcamp route because ninety percent of the stuff of the royalties go to the artist. I believe you really like e music, um, although it's I will clowns, admit my yes. ignorance that I haven't checked it out. Okay. But, yeah. So those are all practical notes. To return to the theme of the album. Oh, um, yes. Dean, I want to, I don't know if you have a lot more to say. I want to, I want to uh, offer the, the concept of uh, similar to what has been said about the recording of Louie Louie uh, in one take, I believe, uh, in his music history has shown us. I would say this is a similar example of catching lightning in a bottle. And uh, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that phrase? And do you think that uh, describes what's happening here on the dream that stuff was made of? Yeah, I do think so. I am. I have my theories about why they never managed to kind of pull it together. I have two, you know, okay. um, but like it is definitely lightning in the bottle. It is one of those albums that like they never really <laughs> they never really captured that essence again. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, their, their, their later albums are fine. I, I rate, uh, I rate uh, their later albums probably 7 or 7 or 7.5 out of, out of 10. But this mm -hmm. one is on number 6 on my all-time favorite uh, top 10 albums of all time. And uh, I'll, I'll explain more why. And I think it's, it is because there, there's just such a, an energy to it, a freshness. Others call it innocence. But I think it's it's hard to get again once you once you've done this and you've achieved this on your debut album. It's so rare. In fact, usually there's a there's a trajectory for most bands on their second, third, and fourth albums. Let's say. But I think you know this one. I rated a nine point five out of ten, and the only reason it's not a ten is because I you know it, you'd be hard to hard pressed to call it epic at a barely in barely more than half an hour. Although, if it makes any difference, when you add those two tracks from the uh, slightly longer edition, it puts it at forty two. Which is less terrible. <laughs> no, it's not terrible at all. I think uh, I think the, the distinction between an EP and an LP is something that's going to be lost on, on younger generations who may be listening. But uh, me, yeah, I, I, I am. I know. I'm. You. You are probably right on that. For me, I am. I am very old fashioned about that. And if it's less than maybe twenty minutes, it is an EP. Well, I agree with you. Actually, I agree. I think uh, thirty minutes is a very short LP. I want to know, Dean, what uh, what did you rank the album as a whole? Since I said nine point five out of ten, I didn't really rank it as a whole. Um, I would say that 
Um, if I had to rank it as a whole, I would rate it as maybe a B plus or an A minus. Hmm, okay. um, because I would say that like, because the problem is that I've listened to this album so much that, you yeah, know, probably. when you've heard a song for the last like 15th time, <laughs> it's not as special as it was the first time. Okay. Okay. So like, that's why with the song popsicle, because it, it, it sounded basically like, you know, like a B side version of the energy that's on like submarine or Valerie, but like uh-huh. I hadn't ever heard it before. So it was really okay. new and special, and it's like, it was exciting. So, like, I would say that if this is as good now as it was for the first-time listener, like, then I would say that it's probably a B plus. It was hmm. it was really good, but not, like, the best ever. If I'm jaded by how many times I've heard these songs, and that they're maybe not as, as special as they would be for a new listener then I would mm-hmm. say that it's probably an A-, minus, meaning you could give it to anybody and they would like it. And I think it's probably close to an A- minus based on what you've said about that it's an album you can play for anyone and they like it. Well, not anyone, but I think across all subgenres of rock, basically. <laughs> well, then let me just, then let's just start off I can probably think of some and say if you are playing it for someone and they don't like it, then that person is terrible and you should never speak to them again. Basically, that's my 9.5 rating. I thank you for reading my rating, Dean. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Just don't – Just they. it's like someone who doesn't like air hockey. They should receive minimal contact. Mm-hmm. No, I think that uh, that uh, you, you, you raised some good points there, Dean, about freshness and revisiting things from our youth. And that's a, that's a good segue into the fact that I think uh, – for choosing these albums, I wanted to make sure I, I, I'm staying in the 21st century because I think that's a real blank spot for most people, mm-hmm. um, whether young or old, because uh, there was really a, a, a kind of a winner-take-all economy, to put it into technical terms, where the pop musicians started getting more attention and smaller acts less and less because of the, the fall of commercial radio. But well, that's another topic for another day. But the mm. fact is that most people most people stop listening to new music when they're in high school or college. After that, there's, you know, what you listen to in college or in high school will always be pop to you. And I'll bring this up again from Mal Bloom. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think of that? Uh, what do you think of that phenomenon that people stop listening to new music after they're 30? I mean, I think that it is a thing. I mean, like this was told to me when I was still in high school by my high school nurse that like the music you listen to in high school is what you love forever. And I've noticed this with other people. It's not always the case because sometimes no. you find the tryhards, mm-hmm. the 50 year old guy who's going to like a teen pop show oh, dear. or like some like punk rock That's show. Fantastic. And it's just kind of like, hmm, g- good for you? Question mark. <laughs> That's going to be us. Dean. We're not that far away. That's going to be us. <laughs> oh my God. And now it brings us to the depressing middle act of our show. No, 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 no. Sadness and middle age. Come on, come on, come on. The old man shouts at Cloud Duo. (laughs) I've read, and I'll I'll link, uh, I'll I'll link articles in the show notes that there are actually scientific studies done about this, and it has to has to relate to uh, actually to sex in some cases in biology. Believe it or not, both of us are single, but. uh, Peaking that in is the, true. <laughs> I have a cat. I mean, that's how shocking. single I am. Shocking. You'll find more and more. Um, uh, 
uh, but anyway, the, the, uh, the, the relationship to playing a music, m- musical instrument in the first place makes you more sexually attractive. And if you don't play an instrument, perhaps a substitute can be having a great music collection and turning your partner on to all kinds of different, uh, different sounds that they wouldn't hear otherwise. It's so sexy, isn't it? That is true. Oh, um, Thank you the much. album. What other, what other thoughts do you have about this album? Well, I want, to, I want to talk about the, the two reviews, which I think you're going to do from Album also. Two reviews in particular I want to draw attention to from two usually reliable sources that are Pitchfork and the All Music Guide, AMG. Mm-hmm. I, I think both of those reviews really get this album wrong. And first of mm-hmm. all, with AMG, which I usually trust to be non-sensational, they go a little bit too far in the direction of uh, killing with faint praise. I think that's mm. the phrase that's going to come up very often, giving it a three-star rating and saying generally positive things. But uh, what is the role of uh, music criticism today? I mean, is it uh, to draw attention to things, to basically be an objective, uh, non-biased listener and uh, try to assess the overall quality in the pantheon of time? Or uh, what what is the actual role? And I think for the AMG, uh, they, they really just, you know, they're they're under underselling the album greatly, and they basically doomed it to obscurity. And uh, I believe it has uh, 12 user ratings, which I know you don't like as a measure of obscurity, but I think it shows that mm-hmm. uh, you know Mal. It's Bloom, not it's not super popular at the very least. Probably not super popular. Uh, an album from this year that your your pick is uh, Mal Bloom. They have they have six ratings just from this last year. So in 20 years. Uh, you know, it's basically doubled amount the amount of ratings that uh, Mel Bloom has gotten in in, uh, in one year, less than one year. And, 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 and in what you said about killing with faith praise, um, uh, for the audience to get an example, here's an example of what we're talking about there. This is from the AMG review. Quote, each song's journey from A to B proves as interesting for its ultimate destination as for the sonic detours it takes along the way. It makes it seem as though the album is very enjoyable, and then it makes it all the more confusing when you get to the end and you see that it was only rated three out of five stars. Right, and I think the user reviews are almost all like four and a half and five out of five. So mm-hmm. it's a case yeah. of, obviously, they can't hype everything. There's only so much hype to go around, but I think this one really fell through the cracks in terms mm-hmm. of getting attention from uh, from reviewers. So I want to draw, draw the connect the AMG review to the Pitchfork review and that both of them... Note that the band is from Oklahoma, and therefore, they're from Oklahoma. Therefore, we must compare them to the Flaming Lips. And even Kid. claiming that they sound like the Flaming Lips. Did you hear Flaming Lips in this album, Dean? Not really. I didn't really get a lot of Flaming Lips notes. Although, I mean, Flaming Lips is just kind of like, I get it, Wayne. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> that is like, the best summary of Flaming Lips I've ever heard, Dean. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I mean, like, but yeah, I mean, like the Pitchfork one. You know, like, what are your thoughts? You feel like the Pitchfork one... I don't feel like that was killing a faint praise, though. No, I definitely feel not. Like... They, gave it, they gave it a high rating, and uh, it's mm-hmm. a 7.7, I recall. But the problem, yeah. the problem I have with that rating, that, that it exemplifies the Pitchfork review, because the album is self-referential, gonzo journalism, drawing more attention to the reviewer itself than to the album. And that's, that's the problem I have with that. And Pitchfork yeah. is kind of... Although, I feel like it's... Very showy one... rating. I feel like it has one quote in there that does kind of hint at problems potentially to come for the band. Mm-hmm. Um, quote, at its best, it manages to reap all the benefits of the genre. 
orchestral pop, they label it as. A full, expansive sound and layers of contrasting melodic lines, while avoiding the self-indulgence that so often foils their orchestral pop contemporaries. Yeah, yeah. Talk about self-indulgence. Talk about self-indulgence. Read the review. It's all about the reviewer not liking Mint. Thanks thanks a lot for that, reviewer. Yes, that was so weird. (laughs) Why would we care? I don't know you, sir. Yeah, and, and just pigeonholing it as orchestral pop, yes, that is one of the subgenres it works. But I think all the, both of those reviews really miss the role, role that I think is distinct, that there is also so much, and I talked about this re- earlier, the role of dissonance, the role of noise. Parts and Labor is another, is another noise rock band that I think gets a lot of attention for. And I think that mm. if a noise rock listener listened to this album, they would, they would, sign, they would uh, hear a totally different angle. And, and the, the, the idea of what's called angular guitars, guitar, guitars just rushing at you from the side in all different noisy ways and unpredictability, it, it gives you a jumping feeling. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, I feel like in this album, the noise elements are definitely there but are kind of, they're necessary to temper the kind of sometimes saccharine sweet element of the music. It's a great contrast, yeah. Yeah, like you need a little bit of, if you're doing something that's not exactly sunshine pop, but close, Uh you know, like you need a little bit of heaviness in there just to kind of temper things so it doesn't sound like that, Oh gosh, that song from the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you don't want it to sound like that. No. Pop culture invades. <laughs> Other mediums. Other media. Although, although <laughs> that song was a Billboard hit, so shy. Weep. Fair enough, fair enough. Do you have anything um, more to say about this before I conclude, Dean? Yes, uh, one thing I totally didn't even know, and you didn't cover it. Uh, I don't think it's relevant, though. Um, the album title, I didn't get that that was a reference to both a movie and a Shakespearean play. Did not get that. Wow. Um, the album title is a reference to both the Maltese Falcon and, indirectly, to Act 4 of The Tempest. Wow. Prospero speaks, quote, We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with sleep. End quote. That's beautiful. Yeah, so the actual title came from the Maltese Falcon, which is a rephrasing of the Shakespearean. Layers and I just thought that was kind of cool. Layers. layers upon layers, Dean. This is why people should tune in to our Out of Obscurity podcast, because I mean, we, we I have... will say, spoiler alert, uh-huh. DJ Pozur, yes, they yes. already are tuning in if they heard you say that. Dude, dude. Well, Mind a little self promotion. Hello. <laughs> toot, our, toot our own horn. Uh, Seriously. <laughs> wonderful, Dean. <laughs> I'd like to conclude our first pick with the notation that a lot of people drawing on their favorite songs from high school or college when they remember that time in their lives when they were young and fresh and full of dreams and ideals. There are certain albums that, when played, evoke a really emotional response of nostalgia, and you can't help but just get excited and remember feeling that way. For a lot of people in our generation, Dean, in terms of rock, those albums are, for example, Weezer's Blue Album and some things by The White Stripes. I can appreciate them, but they don't really get me in the same way that this album does. That I mean, this the, album the white, is that album for me. The Weezer you can't get into because I ruined Weezer 
Weezer's The Blue Album for you forever by it wasn't playing just you. it 8,000 times in college. It wasn't just you, but yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed to acknowledge my debt in cultural history. I saved you from being into a band that would end up disappointing people for 20 years. Bravo, bravo. Seriously. But I mean, have you seen people, you've seen people, you know, get really excited about them. And like, that's all you need to say is the Blue Album or White Stripes and play the, uh, uh, Fell in Love with a Girl, I think, is the White Stripes song that just, you know, mm -hmm. gets people practically atavistic with excitement. Mm. And Although I will yeah. say, to tie, to tie up this uh, first part before I think we move on, yes. um, I actually saw a double bill in New Jersey that was um, a double headliner bill that they switched, the two bands switched off every 15 to 20 minutes between them. And it okay. was the Flaming Lips and Weezer performing <laughs> kind of in tandem throughout the concert. Okay. okay. First, I went because of the Flaming Lips because it was like three years ago and then people get, people cared about the Flaming Lips back then. But I like, um, Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> and like, it was weird because at first, like people were into the Flaming Lips, like the giant fists and the ball and the confetti and the super slow songs about a person who once con connected with another person in some way. Again, we get it, Wayne. Um, but what, and then Weezer came on and it was weird. Cause it's like, you kind of forget how many of their songs you heard to death on the radio <laughs> until they play them all in a concert. And then it's like, Oh, that song. And you're like, Oh yeah, that song that was playing in the McDonald's that one day. Yeah, you know, and then you're, yeah. and it was weird. But the cool thing was, near the end of it, people treated Flaming Lips's like appearances as a bathroom break, and the whole crowd left when Wayne Coyne came on to the Aww. point that he got pissed off near the end of the show and was like, "Weezer will be back in twenty minutes. We have some good songs for you." And that's <laughs> so sad. They've been doing music for like. 400 years and they're almost finished with the first album um <laughs> that's how long their tracks are wow yes, yes yes but it's just like yeah that was kind of interesting are you ready to move on sure let's hit uh, let's hit your pick Dean. okay so this one is from just an incredibly long time ago this album was released this year i can't so even remember like thousands of minutes ago um, it is called Pity Boy by the group Mal Blum, M-A-L-B-L-U-M. Um, and it's on Don Giovanni Records, D-O-N-G-I-O-V-A-N-N-I. Um, you can pick it up on Amazon, on the label's website, and on Bandcamp. And potentially other places, but those are the big three that I know. And of course, probably streaming sites as well. If you just watch want if you just want the lead singer to be sad. <laughs> I mean, you listen to the lyrics, you know, they are already, and that is one thing. They are they are um they are a, a gender non-binary band. So the lead singer does use the pronoun they. To describe themselves. 
My apologies if I do slip up about that sometime during the recording. But yes, the lead singer does use they, not he or she. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you wanted to choose a streaming site, it's fine. You're just making them really, really sad. And if you heard the album, you would hear they are already very sad about a lot of things. You know, so much sadness. Seriously. I mean, so much sadness. Um, it, although you know, they really have a lot of fun. They, they have a lot of fun being sad. My oh, yeah. favorite tracks on this album are uh, the first one, Things Still Left to Say. I thought that track was an A+. Um, it's about loneliness and isolation, like being around people but not connecting to anyone. Um, and you'll hear this in a lot of... Um, I like one thing they brought in, which I've heard a lot from like LGBT people all over the place is the idea that home isn't really a, a place you feel safe being um, with the quote from the song. What's a home, another place you never go, another space. Nobody knows the idea that it's just, it's not a place that you can really feel comfortable in. Um, the other one, uh, track three, the other couple that I really liked, uh, See Me, um, which was an A+. Um, I really liked this one. Um, I kind of feel like the whole imposter syndrome and trying to be a version of myself I think people will like. I love. I didn't really... I don't remember hearing other people talking about that. And so I really liked that idea of someone else mentioning the idea of being a version of yourself that's not really authentic, but you think might be more likable based on the little you understand of how most people are. Um, we all wear a mask, yeah. Yeah, with the quote, um, I don't belong, though it helps to play along. Why can't they see me when I'm right here? That feeling of being isolated, not being visible, not making yourself seen. Um... But, well, I think it goes also to, to alienation, too. And in, invisibility is a big part of that that I think is a, has a long tradition in uh, pop rock. Yeah. One thing that I found interesting is in the end of this song, um, they almost imply that it's kind of it's too late for them to make themselves visible because they've settled into these patterns of how their friends expect them to behave and how they naturally end up acting so that hmm. the narrator feels like they fit this role for so long that they don't know if it's possible to break out. And I found that really interesting. And the other one, which is about a toxic relationship, which ends up being really a meaningful thing that they talk about a lot in the second half of the album. And that's track five splinter, which I also thought was an a plus, um, quote, uh, no, it's the best that it's been. You, you know I get sen so sensitive. Besides, I let that splinter get in. It's, it's my fault it's there. I opened up my skin. No use blaming no one. Now infections setting in. The idea that it's nobody's fault. I, I hate people... And this song made me remind, remind me of 
of that. I hate people that when you say something that is upsetting you about what they're doing or about something in your life, I hate it when you encounter someone whose first first goal is to deny responsibility instead of helping. And the line that ends the song, or in the middle of the song, rather, quote, um, who could hold you at fault? You even warned me at the time. That just kills me. That mm. it's just the ultimate victim complex that, oh, of course I couldn't blame you. You told me I would fail before I started. Or you told me I'd get hurt. So, you know, by being with you, you know, the type of person that front loads things with telling you that they're an asshole or whatever, and they feel like that gives them permission to be a creep to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe you had a roommate like that freshman year, say. I can't imagine what that would I be mean, like. Yeah, maybe one that played Weezer an unacceptable amount of times. <laughs> unforgivable sins, certainly. Seriously, just unforgivable. Um, other other things um, that I liked um, or didn't like, um, the song Not My Job, track two, great riffs, straight up pop. I just, I wasn't crazy about the message. I mean, like, I kind of get it because the song is about, for people at home, it's someone is suffering and the narrator is saying that it's not their job to help that person. Mm. And it's like, and I was kind of, I didn't quite like it until they got to the end of the song that it, um, it's specifically about situations where to help the other person would be toxic or harmful to you, you need to be the bad guy. Hmm. But I still wasn't crazy. A great song, but I wasn't crazy about the message there. Odd, hmm. number four, and uh, Black Coffee, and Did You Get What You Wanted, were probably my least favorite. Um, I think my it's all it's all kind of brought together in the only thing I wrote down as notes for the song, Did You Get What You Wanted, track seven, was, quote, they're sad, like, more so, unquote. Hmm. And it's just, it kind of just got, I got numb to the whole, like, they're upset, they're sad, they're wounded. I get <laughs> it. Like, I, I, I heard Blink-182. I get it. Yeah, no, I know that's no, like I really loved Blink 182 when I was like a freshman and sophomore in high school. The first couple albums, that, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, the first couple albums before Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, when I felt like they kind of started falling away, um, they were really good. They had this wounded thing of a person who's insecure but trying to be confident and doesn't really know their place in, in, in school, I, I related to a lot of that. And I think this album is that for a new generation. This um, is the, uh, if I could ask you, Dean, if I could interject, um, <clears throat> since you bring up that un, unspeakable band, this is the first time, <coughs> first opportunity we can ask, uh, I, I, in terms of how punk is this album, Dean? Is this a punk album? I mean, 
that's the thing. I mean, like, I feel like I could get all soapboxy about what punk is and what it means. And we will. But, like, <laughs> for me, I feel that, like, you have to acknowledge that the kind of, like, adolescent punk that kind of started with Blink-182 and Green Day. The no one understands me, I've had a bad day at school kind of punk. It is <laughs> punk, but for me, punk is music that you don't want to listen to, or you wouldn't at the time, want to listen to with the windows down in your car. What? That's People punk music for me. People blare punk music out of their cars all the no, time. No, no, no. For example, um, two things come to mind. Okay. And I, one of them I know you know. The second one you may not. Um, the first one is a band that I played all the time in college, the band Pansy Division. Sure. They are punk because they do the punk riffs, mm -hmm. but also they have songs that are explicitly about gay sex. Sure. And I, and I listened to it while I was walking around in Saudi Arabia. Because if any time there's a place to listen to Pansy Division, it's walking along the streets of Riyadh. It really, um, really sets the scene there. Yes, yes. It does. It's a nice tableau. Um, the other one that I think, and I got to see them, was that, that exemplifies what punk is, is a Muslim punk band called the Kominas. K-O-M-I-N-A-S. That is rock and in a hard of place. Yeah. Pop punk. Uh, a little bit of surf, ska, punk. But they have a song called Sharia Law in the USA about how they want to destroy all of America and establish Sharia Law. And cool. it's an amazingly catchy punk song, but I am <laughs> not going to play that with my windows down at a stoplight. I am going to feel really insecure about that. You uh, know what I mean? I just own it. I'd say own it and, you know, scare but people. Like, <laughs> like, that's, in my opinion, like, what punk is. Sure. So, I would say this album is, you know, not to get too Brewster with you, but oh, it's no. punky. Ouch. That was stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just literally, I thought of Punky Brewster, and I was like, I have to use this. It was not <laughs> worth it, and I am sorry. <laughs> that is that is more forgivable than some sins, I will say, but uh, still. <laughs> is it? <laughs> be smirching the name of Funky Brewster. At least I didn't insult the show Small uh, Small Wonder. That show is, of course, sacrosanct. We're dating ourselves, Dean. We're dating ourselves. Here, no, that's just, you know what, like, honestly, listeners, Google is a thing. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, oh, yeah. Um, you have more uh, last, on the lyrics, or uh, what else do you want to say? Um, last two things that I thought were really interesting. Uh, for Salt Flats, which I didn't really like until I started listening to the lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of wordplay where salt is a stand-in for other things. Mm -hmm. uh, salt in your hair, you rub salt in my wounds, then you lick it away. I like that because it's salt in your hair like I either at the beach. Mm -hmm. And then they twist it to say rubbing salt in the wounds, and then the licking it away, which is a classic thing from abusive relationships. <laughs> you hurt the person and then you console them. Okay. Um, another um, 
you know, and then they have another quote that I think I may have written down wrong. Uh, salt your words, which I think is a reference to the common expression being salty, meaning mm-hmm. resentful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they end the song with a uh, lyric, salt on your hands, which maybe it's just me, but under this context, I feel like is a coded way of saying that the the that the, the person this song is about has blood on their hands. Mm-hmm. They hurt someone, they know what they did, and they're going to have to deal with the consequences of their actions. Okay. Um, and another song of the same type, which gets down to what I was saying, the second half really is about abusive relationships. And uh, this referencing track 10, I will be swearing, so inexplicably, if you have tiny children listening to a podcast about obscure music, (laughs) you might want to just shoo them out of the room. Um, By shooing them out of the room, I would not recommend saying to your kids the following quote from this song. Fuck you, I let you, even when you're cruel, come over. I know by now that it's not the way it's supposed to be. And people have complexities. But that's not but that's yeah. not fucking you. You're just the same. That mm. it's someone you invited over and you get that some people are intricate and complex and whatever, but you're not, you're just being mean. Um the things, by the way, all the lyrics I quoted are courtesy of Malblum.com. Um But yeah, I feel like I'm a lyric-driven person, and I really feel this song is, this album is meaningful because it has something to say lyrically, and I feel like it has pop hooks, and it's fun to listen to, and it's high energy, but it ends up being the kind of thing that you really get a portrait of one person. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily the singer, because I don't like to conflate the person who's singing the song with the person the songs are about. But I feel like, just like you would in a story or a movie, I feel like this really gives you a really three-dimensional picture of what it's like for trans and and non-binary people living today and the emotional struggles that they deal with before they're even dealing with their everyday struggles that all of us have to deal with, like money, taxes, you know, fighting llamas trying to take over your apartment building, and all of that basic stuff that everyone has to deal with. Maybe not the day-to-day llama. Day-to-day stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think maybe, that's a I very just, important... like, maybe I should move into a different neighborhood, like one that's, like, further from the zoo. But anyway. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, that's a very message in a very attractive package of pop pop rock and uh, power punk and, and specifically and I think that uh, that really is uh, going to make the, the experience accessible to people who wouldn't otherwise read an article or a book about it so that's great yeah yeah um, so in terms of reviews which I feel like is probably the last section needed oh I'm sorry um, before we move on to the reviews what are you um, do you have any other thoughts um about this album so far? 
All right. So what I wanted to ask you, Dean, I, I have, when I asked you about it, whether this album is punk, this is apparently a different style than their previous albums. Can you confirm that? Absolutely, I can. Um, the earlier albums um, have... I, I think it's fair to call it twee, uh -huh. um, which is a dirty word among a lot of music fans, but it's a really lovely genre. Um, mm -hmm. You know, very introspective, very sensitive, um, very confessional, uh, like reading a diary, very much. And the, one of their early albums, but I can't remember which one, features such things as like toy piano and has a very handmade quality to it. Would you call it lo-fi? Yeah, I would say so. Um, not quite in the same vein if for fans of classic lo-fi bands like Sebado, for example. But more okay. lo-fi yeah. as... Hmm, I don't know. I mean, honestly, the band that I... It's not going to mean anything to anybody else, but the band that I would say their early stuff sounds like the most is a band called Pianosaurus. No. That I know you've heard. Oh, come on. Really, Dean? That's a, a novelty act. <laughs> I mean, it's a cute novelty act, though. It is, but this is a serious band. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, though, I mean, as your, one of your favorite musicians, Zappa, has shown, you can be kind of silly and novelty and also be a serious musician. They don't have to be absolutely, separate. Absolutely. But there like can be technical of, technical qualities to the music, but the you know, we're talking about lyrics and what does it all mean? Pianosaurus is not singing about uh, alienation and uh, you know No, absolutely not. Experience. And that's where and that's where I would have to separate the lyrical content from the instrumental content. Instrumentally, okay. I see a little bit of Pianosaurus. In terms of lyrical content, I can't name another group covering this kind of terrain mainly because I feel that, and maybe this is unfair, but I feel like their identities as people on the LGBT spectrum is very hard to separate from their lyrical message. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel that um, I can't remember where I read this, and so my apologies if this is incorrect. But I believe that in the past, it was the lead singer doing most of the recording in studio, and they brought people in to be the touring band. Sure, right. I think that's As a callback, the, the way Mr. Yuri is, conceivably, um, doing for um, Panic at the Disco at this point. Um, or the way Trent Reznor does it right? with Nine Inch Nails. But sure. this album, I believe, one of the big distinctions is this was a collective project by the whole band. That, that comes across. This is definitely a fully, a fully fleshed out sound they've got. There. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's the song Track 10, which is called Well Fuck. But when I saw them live, I'm pretty sure it was that track that the lead singer mentioned that they didn't want to put it on the album, but the rest of the band convinced them. Oh. Uh, but the, the specific track doesn't necessarily matter. What matters, I think, is the fact that it shows that it's a collaborative process to a certain extent. And mm -hmm. I, think that, I think that shows to that 
the rest of the band that really has really phenomenal musical chops. Mm -hmm. They deliver a clean sound and they really highlight the, the lead singer in, and this may come off as weird, but like in a very REM kind of way. Mm. Meaning Michael Stipe and Mal Blum, which is the name of the lead singer and also the name of the band, both have fairly warbly voices. Sure. Not strong voices. Very distinctive. They're backed by bands that have technical mastery over what they're trying to do. Right. So it's a good juxtaposition that makes the sometimes introspective or uncertain lyrics, it makes that voice kind of an asset. Mm-hmm. Whereas if REM sounded slapdash and messy and not really well put together, I feel like it wouldn't really have that same specialness to it. Sure. Um, and I feel like, but getting back to what you were mentioned earlier, would I say that this is truly punk? I would say that you could play this for punks and they probably would not call you on it. Okay. But I don't know if they I would, would solidly call it punk. They would, punks would certainly enjoy it, maybe as a little you know, change of pace. Mm. Yeah, but it, 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 it's more introspective and less, you know, angry. And I always kind of associate oh. a lot of punk with emotion that's externally directed. You know what, what I mean? What Dean, what Dean could be more emotional than emo, though, and introspective? No, but I mean like aggression or okay. anger. I associate okay. those ways of interacting with negative emotions. I associate those with punk. There is anger on itself, not just this that. Is, this is internally directed negative emotions. Okay. Depression, withdrawn, defeatism. Um, there's, there's anger, though, too. And maybe it's not as edgy or as aggressive as you say, just because the music isn't as aggressive, but the lyrics are fairly, you know, angry. <laughs> that is true. But, like, I feel like there's... for I would say that this is on the border between power pop, modern power pop, and um, punk. Okay. And that it is definitely... Yeah, (laughs) pop punk. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I would say that it's definitely pop punk. Um, Whether I want to call them a a punk group, not sure. But I don't know if, due to the lyrics, I don't know if it really fits neatly into a box. Mm Mm-hmm. Which you can look forward to many more splitting hairs like this in future episodes, by the way. Oh, absolutely. But I would say, as a nice point to end on, I feel like it's, it's a statement of what this band is trying to say, that they wouldn't want to be put into boxes. And I feel like that right. is absolutely. part of it. Uh, can we move too. on to the reviews? I want to say one more thing about lyrics in general. Sure. And, uh, I'm going to get into my personal views on lyrics. Obviously, I don't care about lyrics nearly as much as you, um, and that's a fault in my reviewing skills. 
But in general, if you if you come across a, a an example of an album that's in a genre that you don't particularly care for, like pop punk, I don't really care for. And then uh, obviously the lyrics and uh, the the lyrics really speak to you, and that that maybe maybe you've heard enough pop punk too yourself. But you the the, the lyrics and how how much they are meaningful to you, and you can identify with certain experiences that they talk about. That maybe allows you to transcend a genre that maybe isn't your favorite. In my case, I you know I'm not a lyrics person, and it doesn't really speak to me. So uh, is there any hope for me? What do you do in that situation when the the style of music and the lyrics are just not your cup of tea? What do you do? I mean, ultimately, though, that's one of those things. That's one of those things that like some things, some genres are going to be a hard sell for you. Sure. For anybody. Everybody's got their not favorites. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. But no, but not meaning some specific genres are hard sells for for anybody. But like, yeah, like, I mean, certain stuff. I think a lot of people would like this. Yeah. I mean, like, I do. Yeah. But like, I think that like for you, you're like instrument instrumentation driven. And if you turned the Starlight Mints album into an instrumental album, I think you would still rate it as seven or above. Certainly. Yes. And I probably wouldn't really pay much attention to it. Understood. It's it's necessary. So And so it's like for me actually, I didn't mention this during your review, but like I as a lyrics person, I didn't notice it until I read the lyrics. The lyrics of that Starlight Mints album are not super profound. <laughs> Come on, Dean. It's Margarita the Octopus and you've eaten the killed by giant centipedes. Dean, what could be deeper than that? <laughs> I mean, metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically. Um, I mean, the centipedes and stuff like that and the submarine and, you know, there's one thing, there's another one. I mean, it made me wonder about potential. I think it's personal tasting. You can either like I, lyrics that you identify with or like Zappa and Beefheart, stream of consciousness, crazy. What the heck are they singing about stuff? And I'll, I'll take the I'll take the latter. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, but for me, if it was. But the thing is, if it was those lyrics from Starlight Mints on this album sung by this singer, I don't think you would like it at all. <laughs> Be an interesting experiment. In any case, you can go ahead about the reviews. You know, and I think if it was these lyrics on the Starlight Mints instrumentation, I think that you would really like it. (laughs) Okay. I think you need something that's complex instrumentally, has Uh a lot going on. Right. And that, like, for me, I'm okay with something that's thoroughly stripped down as long as it has something meaningful to say. Sure. Well, this will be interesting when we have an instrumental pick. Not yet, but uh, you go ahead with the although, review. Although, as, as a preview, both of our albums uh, for our next episode, just as a teaser before we tell the audience what they are, both of them are more instrumental than either of the ones we chose for this week. That is true. More instrumental mm-hmm. and longer. That is true. Uh, speaking of longer, since we're getting up there in terms of time... Um, <laughs> Do you want to? Uh, do you have anything else, or do you want me to go into the reviews for? Talk about the reviews. Album? I'll have some. I'll have some concluding thoughts on this album when you're when you're ready. Perfect. Before no you're problem. ready. So yeah, um, Pitchfork. Uh, I got reviews. The three reviews that I got were um, from Pitchfork, Paste, 
and new noise. AM All Music Guide did not have a review for this album. Mark against it. So Pitchfork rated it 7.5 out of 10. Paste 8.5 out of 10, which was very good. And New Noise rated it 4 out of 5, a.k.a. 8 out of 10. Um, so basically, yeah, it's the average score is 8 out of 10 to aggregate these together. Pitchfork, um, some short quotes on this. Pitchfork said, uh, Blum laces endearing humor into sorrowful subjects. And that really is the most prosaic way to describe the album that you could get. Mm. Um, however, Paste had this to say, and I found it nice. Uh, the songs are bringing levity to songs about mental health, the limited resources we have to care for one another, and the grace to be found in taking responsibility for hurting others. That was a that was a very long and very serious in-depth review. If you love this album, read that review. The paste one? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's it for the quotes. However, there's an article related to this that I found really nice. Um, it was the it was the article on Autostraddle, which sounds like a sex thing, but it's a website. I promise you, and probably <laughs> also a sex thing. But totally we're not safe. talking about that. SFW all the way. Yeah, exactly. So um, with Pity Boy, this, the article is called "With Pity Boy." Mal Blum is ready to be seen. It's really a good reading on why this matters to. LGBT people and to trans and non-binary people specifically. And it offers um, a trans slash non-binary perspective on this album that I thought was really cool. Um, And that as, since both of us are cisgendered men, that is something that we can't offer, but it is a really great article to check out. Um, So that is it for me. So can I DJ. comment on those? Can I comment on those uh, reviews? Uh, Absolutely. Generally, uh, generally, I think those are very well rated. Uh, eight out of ten is pretty good. And I wanted to ask you, Dean, do you think that's enough? Is that enough to escape obscurity? Is 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 the role of a review to to give enough hype or ink or attention to something? And do you think it will be successful? Is it it's an album from this year? Is it enough time? Is there still hope that this is going to become a popular, very successful, maybe even a gold album? Use the old. Um, here's um, this is kind of related to a, a Starlight Mints thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, there are three ways in which I think an artist ends up in obscurity. Okay. That one, they don't know how to uh, market themselves. Like when we were talking mm-hmm. earlier, this is what I would say is the problem with the Brian Jonestown massacre that they weren't able to really stay on message. They were too all over the map. You know, they ended up recording an album painstakingly with a particular musical instrument. And then one of the members of the band was acting like an idiot and destroyed it. So they could never actually perform the song anywhere. Um, and would get off message or blow the entire marketing budget, pressing some LP that they sneak out in the middle of the night and give away at a concert. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the first way in which they kind of end up shooting themselves in the foot. I think you could say um, a contemporary artist, Azalea Banks, 
also did this by getting into so many Twitter fights that she kind of ended up losing any traction with her musical career. Okay. The second is if they're presenting a type of music that just most people aren't interested in then. Mm-hmm. You know, music comes in waves. Right now, it's not a great time to be an instrument-based rock band. As you sure. undoubtedly know, most songs now are based in electronica, meaning sure. electronic okay. beats and rhythm are a part of the song. Not just here, but I know in Saudi Arabia and Indonesia, and I'm betting in a lot of the countries in Asia that you've lived in. Right. Uh, to build to build off that really quickly, Dean, I think there was mm-hmm. a review of a Drive-By Truckers album that called it the best rock album of, what is it, 2016 or whatever year it was, in a year where that doesn't mean a goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so that's one way that things end up becoming obscure. Um, more, I can't remember the guy's last name, Gersten, had an album from the 70s called Plantasia. That's a beautiful electronic album that is made specifically for houseplants to listen to. <laughs> and it is a great album, but that's not something that most people are going to want to listen to. And the third type, and this is the one that I think the Starlight Mints kind of suffered with. Um, it was most notable for the band uh, My Morning Jacket, which is what I call okay. the follow-up album problem. The uh-huh. album that ends up getting all the ink and all the airplay and all, everyone talking about it is the album after their really amazing album. Okay. Because when they've put out the album and it's already in the world and people are already talking about it, it's too late for anyone to throw money at them to make it a success. It's huh. already out there. All right. For example, the band, the punk band Titus Andronicus. Their first album, mm-hmm. The Monitor, was and is still beloved. But you never sure. really got a huge buzz about them until their next album. And when that okay. was a big deal, then they ended up kind of being a big deal. Um, sure. My Morning Jacket is known, I think, as you probably have seen, by seeing this album everywhere in used CD stores for the album <laughs> It Still Moves, the one with the bear on the front. Yeah, there's terrible yeah. album covers, I think, is their theme. But uh... Yeah, and the, but the album that was a, like a huge, meaningful album for the fans, that made the fans excited about it, was the album before that, correct me, which I, I believe, the album before that is an album called The Tennessee Fire. Right. And that, everyone really loved it. They thought it was fantastic. And then the next album, they put it out, and it was really good, and they were really willing to work with their label, and the label threw money at them, and it ended up being a big deal. Hmm. So I think with the, with the Starlight Mints, their problem is they never stuck with the record label. Hmm. Their first album is on see-through broadcasting. Their second right. one is, again, as on Play It Again, Sam. And their third one is on Barsuck. Right. And so they didn't never really gave their label a chance to capitalize on their success. You might be onto something, Dean. There, there's a, I, I would say there's a zillion roads to obscurity, and you've covered a few of them, and we'll cover a lot more in the future. Oh, absolutely. So with Mal Blum, their success is riding on what they do next. I see. Okay. The Black Lips released um, their live album in Mexico, and 
can't remember the name of it. But I'm not um, a fan. That's good. But like that album was the one that the fans loved. Okay. They, they thought it's the quintessential Black Lips album. However, okay. the album that everyone discovered them on was their subsequent one, 200 Million Thousand. Mm-hmm. Because they had the one they showed that they could connect with an audience. And so mm-hmm. people decided that they deserved more of an audience. Sure, more sure. advertising budget, more copies, promoted in more places. Mm-hmm. So if Mal Blum pulls a Kimya Dawson and makes their next album some weird thing that's of limited interest, they will end up being in the same position Starlight Mints is now. A great album that people talk about in high regard, though is seldom played. And I think so that's sad. It, it, it would be sad. I want to ask you, since you put it in those terms, will people still be talking about this album or revisiting it in the year 2038, like we're doing with the Starlight Men's album? Um, honestly, and what's your rating overall? I think it depends. Overall, I would say... I haven't really actually thought about that. Um, I would say... I really liked it. And I think objectively it's probably an A minus the same as yours. But I okay. really liked it and I love the fact that it touched on a lot of themes that meant a lot that clearly meant a lot to me. So mm-hmm. I would say that it's a solid A. Okay. Um, That's interesting. I'd like to, you know, offer a counterpoint. But if you, you if you'd like to thoughts? continue. Um very quickly, uh I think that there are some toe tappers. It's catchy. And, uh, and one way to, and getting to our next, uh, next episode's picks, one way to, uh, to answer my own question, to transcend the genre that you don't really like and lyrics that maybe don't really speak to you is to say that, you know, non, uh, minorities need a voice basically. And the people mm-hmm. should hear it simply because of, um, the question of maybe not what the music sounds like necessarily as much as who is making the music. And that's going to be taken into consideration with my next two picks. And so uh, after after reading the reviews and what is the role of a review, I really came to appreciate the album more than I did listening to it the first two times. I've listened to it three times, but I've got to admit, I'm probably not going to listen to it again. And that's going to happen with a lot of our picks for each other. And oh, to make a long story short, uh, just to, I'll let you talk. And, and uh, after this, is I, I, I was going to rate it a six out of ten, which is OK, which is fine. Probably killing with faint praise. But after reading the reviews, I'll knock it up to a six point five out of ten. Go ahead, Dean. I mean, with a 6.5 out of 10, why do you hate gay people? <laughs> <laughs> that's the only possible response. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it to our listeners to, to have more comments like that. No, no, no. You have clearly Your not inbox. seen the internet. We are not leaving that to the internet crowd. No, you are fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know me, and I am gay. So, like, it is like you've got at least one person. Okay. And I mean, to be fair, you're from the Midwest, so like, we're all just you know, like looking at the other people who are from, let's say, Indiana, which is a nearby state to you. You know, it's like it could go either way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> There's a lot of red near where you grew up, so uh-huh. you are. So- so maybe for a lot of people, my last my last thoughts on, on this particular thing, maybe for a lot of people, I'm like the guy giving Starlight Men's three stars and just not getting it. But, yeah, uh, 
But then no. it's fair because it's like it's 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 not your thing. I mean, like you have different things you value in an album. Mm-hmm. So, like, it makes sense that you wouldn't necessarily be so driven by, if I may, a power chord band like this. And if you want to, if you want to play Stump the DJ, I could list, you know, challenge you to name, to uh, describe four or five power pop or power pop bands that I prefer over this album too. But maybe for another time. Perhaps for another time. Um, yeah. Do we want to go with our final with our picks for next episode? Okay, if we're ready for that, you have nothing else to say. You, you got, you, we're concluded, and uh, yeah, uh, I think so. Okay, let, uh, let me let me say that I'm, I'm considering our position, as you mentioned, as two white cisgendered males, and mm-hmm. uh, so we picked white bands. Uh, however, in in some ways, a uh, minority, certainly for the non non uh, gender queer, uh, non binary uh, band. There, uh, for mm-hmm. my next pick, I want to leave the the Western world, and it's. Uh, going to be by a band called Spice, which is based in Hangzhou, China, and it is actually paired between a, a Chinese guy with a PhD and a black man. So, And then for the next one, I'll have to do a woman. So uh, the name of the album is Morpheus <laughs> Omega. Sorry, the phrasing of that was not great. Not quote, great. Okay. Quote DJ Pozor, for the <laughs> next one, I'm going to do a woman. And oh, got binders full of them, Dean. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> former, yes. former Republican presidential nominee. Uh, yeah. So from 2018, and uh, I look forward to talking about it with you, Dean. What's your pick? For me, it is the um, album. One second. Something about it. It is the song, It is the album "Half Eaten Guitar." by the group Weird Visions. Um, It is a re-release of an album from 2006 that the album from 06 was destined to obscurity because I could be wrong, but the original pressing was maybe a few hundred copies. Pretty obscure. It was not not the kind of thing that you could have had any chance of finding. I don't even know if it was ever released digitally until the remaster. So um, the remaster is wi- is on the label run by the guy from the band The Microphones and Mount Erie, uh, the guy Phil Elverum. Um, kind of obscure, but I feel like he's gotten enough acknowledgement. I would I would squarely place Phil Elverum in the "We Get It, Phil" category of indie rock. That could be um, your line, Dean. <laughs> I mean. He has like a six or seven minute song about walking down the street to get a pumpkin. <laughs> it's not like symbolic. It's just about getting a pumpkin. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get it. <laughs> but yeah, that's mine. And it's a it's a curious one. But I'm very interested to hear this here to hear Spice. Um Without the girls. (laughs) No girls involved. Absolutely. No girls involved. That's the the episode after. Um, And then, um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that. So I guess I would say to our audience, stay tuned until next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening and good night.